What's up, everybody? You're listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM Plus. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. So glad to be with you for another week of Chicago Film Talk. Connor, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tom. You know, uh, ever since I read the first couple Harry Potter books, I've always had an obsession with, you know, like the Tom Marvolo Riddle, Lord Voldemort. Uh, twist anagram. at the end of is the, that what it is? At the end of the second one. Yeah. yeah, I've been kind of obsessed with anagrams. So while I was uh, uh, hanging out the other day, I decided to do that with No Coast Cinema. Okay, see if there were anything that I could spell out with No Coast Cinema, and I found that you, in fact, cannot spell No Coast Cinema without a Tom and a Con. and then nice, <laughs> and then there's also an S in there somewhere, but that's okay. A Tom, but you need a Tom, a con, and nice, and that's fucking incredible. <laughs> I think. I well, it's certainly serendipity is that it's, serendipitous? Yeah. It's as if fate has like pushed us into this comfy little studio, into this potential uh, <clears throat> merchandising gold yeah. mine. Yeah, yeah. And and speaking of fate, uh, we have a fantastic guest for you today. Yeah, that is true. We got a guy that I met quite a while ago. And we talked about having him on the show, and then there was this dead zone. We went to the we went to the Stephen King dead zone while he was off. I was off doing nothing, and he was off, you know, being in a, a massive successful Showtime series. Yep, as you do. Yeah, right. And uh, well, that's what happens. <laughs> that's what happens when you have these great guests from the city of Chicago. Everybody's always off doing something really interesting, and we're just kind of like sitting twiddling our thumbs, like, well, maybe we could talk about like, well, I don't hey, know, you do what you know. Again? You do what you know. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> today we welcome Mr. Mickey O'Sullivan, actor. From the city of Chicago, and he is a fantastic actor. He's been in a lot of interesting stuff recently. Had a few appearances in series taking place here in Chicago. Uh, he was in Chicago PD. He was in All Points Bulletin, um, and now he is currently in Showtime's The Shy, created by Lena Waithe, who you may know from uh, Master of None on Netflix. Right. She writes, and she also star helps star in that uh, show as well. But this is her show uh, called The Shy, about growing up on the South Side of Chicago. And uh, Mr. Mickey O'Sullivan is part of that program as Chef Dan. Um, and which I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah. I what actually, does he cook? What does Chef Dan cook? It's, it better be Chicago food. Is it, Mickey? Oh, we'll yeah. give him a chance yeah, it's to. Serious uh, Chicago uh, Asian fusion. Oh, great. Food. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, just, that's about as serious as it gets. If yeah. there's one thing I know about Chicago, it's. Uh, it's it's known Asian for food. Be, has Asian fusion food. Well, I will say this: uh, I've a lot of my one of my friends has said this before, and I think it's true. Chicago is the food capital of the world. Oh yeah! If you want a heart attack, you're coming to Chicago. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I want to come and die here. Yeah. For the food, and you can die from you can die from grease. Yeah. You can die from salt. Mm-hmm. You can. I mean. Celery salt? I yeah. mean, there's, not, there's no end Varieties to it. Varieties of salt. Well thank, you, well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Mickey. We Dude, really appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's been like, yeah, what, like a year? Something like that. It's like, like that. Veterans Day or yeah. uh, Memorial Day or one of those two. I always get them confused. Uh, terrible. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was right. like 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. On that's when I work best. Vet, yes. On, uh, <laughs> I want to say, Memorial Day. Yeah. And we were in this exact studio, in fact, and I was sitting behind the producer booth and listening to you guys talk, and it was just, you were commanding the room 
Oh, as, no. You know, you were <laughs> at 3 a.m. Like, at 3 a.m. No easy was, feet. No, exactly. And I guess it was, that's uh, when I work best, you know. Bingo. So uh, let's jump into it. You are born in New York City, yeah. but raised here in Chicago. Totally, yeah. So born in New York City with uh, my mom and my dad both... Uh, had my brother out there about a year and a, some change uh, before that, and then they split up uh, when I was like two and a half. But I had just enough time to work on a soap opera out there as a baby, like <laughs> in a diaper, you know. Uh, my brother got recommended to do like commercials and stuff, and <laughs> so he went to this audition and for the, for as the world turns. And he started crying as soon as he went up on the stage, and so my mom went to go like you know grab him and take care of him and i like disappeared in my little diaper and walked up on the stage and i don't know if the casting directors or producers were just like exhausted tired but i was like super happy there and they're like yeah that kid that's great cool that's <laughs> really what it's, uh, yeah. works for me <laughs> i like the way he you know he has a certain <laughs> something about him that's a that's a, a good baby dry eyedness about him <laughs> on the stage He's i can't not- hear him it's great yeah. <laughs> So you appeared in a, a season of As the World Turns? What was your character? I was Baby Adam. Um, and that was the name of the character? That was the name of the <laughs> character. I've been trying, like, if anybody out there uh, has access to, like, records of um, my name, I have no idea what my name was back then, like, my stage name or whatever. Um, so I, I've been looking all over for, like, you know, a season. I know my dad had it, but I think he lost it. You know, it's no. like typical dad stuff. <laughs> you know? Taped over with the with the it's, Bears game. Yeah, so it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that he would never watch, you know. Um, and so I did that, and then my parents uh, split up, and, and thank God for everybody. You know, like, some people just shouldn't – are better people opposites, you know, like, sure. when they're not together. Um, and so my mom came back to Chicago to uh, live with her family. Her family is from Chicago um, and grew up here, you know, playing hockey and uh, getting in trouble and then trying not to get in trouble and then finding theater and yeah. been everywhere since. Like, yeah, I, New York, L.A., Minnesota, New Jersey have been all over the place. And Chicago is the only place that you can sit down and smile knowing that you're about to get a heart attack. Right. At, yeah. At your plate. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, with uh, despite being born in New York City, I mean, Chicago is your home. Yeah. I mean, really, no you doubt. were raised here. Yeah. Um, tell us about growing up in Chicago. What's, you know, some yeah. people, for us, for Connor and I, we're from the suburbs. And granted, we we know a little bit about the Chicago experience, but it's always from the outside looking in. So tell us about growing up here. I'm a little bit closer. So I grew up um, for the early parts uh, near Midway Airport, mm-hmm. um, like Harlem and Archer. It's right by like the Fleetwood uh, roller rink, one of the few roller rinks uh, still commanding mm-hmm. some presence in the town. Still? Uh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It's still up and rolling. Um, so I'm dying to get back there and put on some roller skates and <laughs> fall Show my ass, you know? Uh, I went to St. Daniel the Prophet um, down there. And I remember like thinking that public school kids were like, yeah, troublemakers and like we had all these stories like we'd walk past the school and be like i heard tommy got stabbed last no, night oh you know? my god but then like my brother we had you know a little bit of a tiff with the catholic church as most people do uh, yeah. <laughs> and my i was crying one day as a baby and so my mom went to go take me from the center you know procession or whatever into the crying room they actually have a crying room. oh yeah like, that's how you know your church is not doing so well right. or you know really <laughs> including one of the two maybe both um she went to go bring me back there and the uh, priest started making this like this comment about how like you you 
choose to walk away from the church and you choose and like all of this awful stuff. My mom's like single mom busting her ass 24 seven, you know, just trying to give us a good life. And I remember at that point, like she stopped um, being, you know, a member of that church. And like soon after, you know, we moved to Oak Lawn, Illinois um, and we never really looked back, you know, like, uh, you can find faith in whatever ways you want to, sure. but we never really looked back onto that side of things. But we still had my grandfather over near that area and we grew up in an area where it was like kind of in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, like going back there as a kid making trouble. I remember getting jumped down there and you know, and like, we're talking about the bad things here, but like sure. there are so many great things. Like there was Valley Forge park over there and like, we were always running around. I just remember the other day I ran away from home when I was a kid. You mm-hmm. remember doing that? Oh, yeah. I never got very far. Yeah, yeah. you never get far. Uh, <laughs> like, where'd Cause you go? Because even though you've been down every road yeah. in your hometown, all of a sudden you completely forget where you are. So you mentioned growing up in Chicago, yeah. getting into trouble. Yeah, totally. I mean, what was acting your uh, your saving grace, or were you just going to be... That was know, a long game, saving grace. Yeah. 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 So, like... What, got, what drove you into the arms of the acting community? Um... So I played hockey, and that was to get out of, like, I was hanging out with some people who were, um, you know, stealing bikes, getting into fights, stealing shit. Somebody stole something from my house, from my brother, one of my friends. And that was, like, the end. Sure. You know, my mom and my brother both sat me down. They're like, what are you doing? You know, you're better than this. And so my mom was like, what can I do? You know, like, what can I do to, like give you some sort of, and I was going through like weight problems and stuff. And my brother was skinny, popular, you know, like intelligent. And <laughs> I was the kid, like, you know, walking over from school, singing songs to myself and making up like uh, scenes in my head. And I had played hockey when I was very young. My uncle John got me into it and he was like my dad figure. And I was like, you know, I know we can't afford it, so I can't ask. And I was like, but I want to play hockey. And so she was like, well, if you can work really hard at this, and get a college scholarship, you know, like that's a totally worthy investment. And so she threw everything she could into, you know, finding 20 odd jobs and making sure that we can afford it. Cause hockey's like, I can't even begin it's to tell like you. like prohibitively expensive, expensive right. at times. It is, uh, you know, yeah, disgusting. Yeah. Um, you know, even like now I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I'll get some new skates and I go online. And it's like $600. And I'm like, maybe yeah. not. <laughs> Where's the lost and found? Yeah. <laughs> Just just hit up the Blackhawks. It's like, do you guys do used sales, anything like that? I just picked up a shinny set. I don't know. You guys know what shinny hockey is? No. It's like little nets and little sticks. And like, you know, that's what I grew up playing. I remember playing in the like in the, Columbus. Is it like played in the gym? Yeah. Okay. But smaller. I think, do, you, smaller. do you remember gym when that used to, it would be, it was like the four-way hockey? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind of like that, it sounds like, like shinny hockey, except everybody. Like it's downsized. Di- yeah. It's yeah. like four different teams. And you kind of find out in who in your class is an asshole and who isn't. Like, I was the asshole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was way too competitive. My poor gym teacher. It's kind of a bizarre thing how sports can teach you a lot about who you are. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? <laughs> totally. That so co- you. Who are you? I was a swimmer. So oh, yeah. I uh, I found out way too late after ten years of swimming that I hated swimming. <laughs> did you shave your head? And I did the whole yeah. body. Yeah, yeah, I did. Damn. Yeah. I got a lot of respect for you. Yeah. Thank you. I did I'm, that later, but it was like a breakdown. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was more of a what does it all mean sort of shave. Yeah, you know? it, it wasn't the, spheres, you know. 
Hey, man, if you know, Whatever if Britney works. Spears can get through 2007, Hell yeah. I think we can get through anything. Hell That's yeah. That's true. So uh, what, when you started acting, was it just like through school? Did you seek it I out elsewhere? I blew up my knee yeah, playing hockey. I was actually playing basketball in gym because I was that asshole who took it too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, I hate basketball, too. <laughs> um, you were just like hate trying? I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I was in gym class, and I felt like I needed to keep my – um, conditioning up, right? Like that was my only chance during the day. Sure. I remember like foregoing study hall to go in the gym and just sit on a bike for like two hours because I played hockey so late. Most of those guys were playing since they were two or three. Mm-hmm. You know, a good friend of mine is playing in the Olympics right now, go Kendall Coyne. Uh, she's on the U.S. women's team. And these, they've been playing since they were super young. And I, my thought was, I just need to be in better shape, try harder. And, you know, like it wasn't easy for me to play hockey. You know, it wasn't something that came naturally to me. And so when I got injured, I just started getting in trouble again. I was sitting around, I was smoking a lot of pot and, you know, like playing a lot of Mario. (laughs) You know, I had like a revelation playing Mario. I took shrooms in high school, which was actually a great experience. But (laughs) I was playing Mario and, and, you know, God was talking to me through Mario. It was great. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I watched, I watched the Sopranos episode. You remember the one where Tony Soprano is in the coma? Yeah, yeah, that's when I watched right, and oh, there's a while, while playing Mario. No, this was afterwards. Oh, okay. right. So. <laughs> After a Mario sesh, yeah. Totally. Just like, Let's go watch the Sopranos. God, God I'm Mario shrooms. Like <laughs> I knew people were going to be coming home, so I was like, I need to calm down and stop talking to God through Mario because that's going to be a telltale sign that I'm on a hallucination. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and so I, I turned on the TV, and Grey's Anatomy was on, and it was the episode where two people were connected by a, a train. Uh, pole like there was a train accident yeah yeah and they had to like choose who was gonna live and who was gonna die because as soon as they pulled the pole or people off the pole you know one of the, them was gonna die it was just the way sure. it was gonna be and so I'm like bawling my eyes out and then Tony Soprano comes on and it's this like you know white house in the middle of the woods while he's in his coma and then he starts hearing things in the hospital room and I'm like I need to go to sleep yeah <laughs> go to sleep but so at that point I had a lot of free time you know, like I, I was used to waking up at 5 a.m., working out, going to the rink, going to school. I moved away from home uh, and then going straight to the rink after that and spending most of my weekends playing hockey. And I had all of this time and a lot of energy now. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do anything because my leg and my high school uh, drama teacher, Tom Zerzen, brought me in and was like, so there's this musical called Beauty and the Beast. Have you heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> We'd love for you to be in it. And uh, I did it. And I did men's choir that year as an elective because I was like, I don't know, I'm singing all those songs to myself every time I'm on the, you know, route from one place to the next. So why not do it? And that was my saving grace for sure. Yeah. So in B, I gotta ask in Beauty and the Beast, what was your role? <laughs> I have to know, B- baby. Oh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Town's person number one, uh, town crier. No, I was the Monsieur DRK. I was the guy who ran the uh, mental institution. Okay. Yeah. And it taught me everything I needed to know because they were like, so here's your costume. And I was like, and he's an old guy who uh, is kind of creepy. So I'm going to use cobwebs for my hair. Right. And they're going to be little spiders in sure. there. And, but I, I think it was all because I couldn't really sing and I couldn't really dance. And so I was just coming up with ways to make the character more interesting. And, you know, my high school theater director was like, you don't have rhythm either. So. <laughs> We got to keep rhythm. And so he had this stupid dance that he choreographed that my mom still gives me shit about to this day. Like wagging my hips from side to side. 
just did it for uh we got a kid in my life a six-year-old kid named jackson and i was like you know a long time ago i did this thing and you gotta see this kid yeah. and he was like oh jeez." <laughs> did it come naturally to you did you feel that yeah. stepping into the acting was just right yeah that was the easiest thing that i've ever uh, <laughs> it was the easiest choice i've ever made right it was like it made it for me um right before i did that i did uh we did chorus right or choir and i was selected to do the high part in ba 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 baran yeah ba baran yeah and we're not gonna do it now because my voice has changed immensely yeah. since then. <laughs> but my mom was like mick you should have seen it like it was as if you had found the thing that you were made to do you know the whole crowd which just went wild it was like you know she was like it was like elvis walked into the room and i i'm looking for the tape because i sincerely don't believe that uh, <laughs> but you know i did it and it, it didn't take hockey kind of trying, you know, like hockey was like you try out for 40 teams and maybe two of them express interest. Sure. And for this, it was like everybody expressed interest in giving me opportunities. And so I just kind of ran with it. Uh, I went to school at Illinois State to do um, theater, but I also felt like, you know, this was a new thing. And I made a decision during a traumatic moment. You know, how they say, like, you have a traumatic moment in your life. Don't make a major life decision in the next six months. Well, I did. So I also had like a backup plan. I was going to I was really interested in being a special ed teacher. And so I went to school for special ed as well. And in the first year, I realized you can't do both. No. You know, one of them is gonna, you, if you give a crap. Right. You got to give your time mm-hmm. and your energy. And so acting was. I don't know, it was a very easy choice for me. And what was it like going from something that you had to <clears throat> try super hard to be like satisfied with, you know, hockey, it sounds like you had mm-hmm. to really work your, your body and kind of get the routine down, waking up at five and everything. What was it like going from something like that where you had to put a lot of effort into it to something that came effortlessly to you? Sure. Uh, kind of a sense of unease, you know, like it shouldn't be this easy. It's like when you're sitting there like, what am I forgetting? And so I think that kind of led to me applying the same practices, right? So, like, if I could do this without much effort, how good would I be able to be if I put in effort and if I really tried and I really gave the same thing that I gave to hockey to this? And so that let – I, I still have a lot of confidence issues, right? Like, because I still feel like I got into it pretty late, you know? Sure. Most kids, you look at like Brad Pitt's career, any of these major stars, like they've been doing it for 10 years before like they really get those major IMDb credits, you know? And so my thought was, my brother's a business guy and he's always like, how do you make sure you're going to be able to, to make it? And I was like, you know, most people, uh, there's a woman who is a producer for Grey's Anatomy, Krista Vernoff. And she has this article or this interview where she's talking about if we applied the same practices that med school students apply to our arts and our training, you know, it wouldn't be as uh, hard of a conversation to have with your family. You know, like your family wouldn't be like, I don't know, your brother's going to school for med, medical, uh, to be a doctor. And my thought was four years of school. And then if I take all of the money I would have invested in, uh, you know, grad school or med school or whatever else. And I invested that into my career and went ass broke and just did the work for as long as possible. It would be around the same time commitment and there, you know, less financial commitment. So that was my philosophy. It was like, just work your ass off, do as much as possible, try to catch up mm-hmm. um, and enjoy it, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like it came easy, but it wasn't easy so what were those first what were those first opportunities like so so you get out of illinois state and i really like that idea of 
instead of thinking of it as something not like i mean going to grad school people when people go to grad school it's like oh wow so smart you know good yeah. for you going to med school oh wow for so smart so why you know why not just apply that to the arts because the arts take just as much work yeah. it's just a different part of of your brain is a different part of one's personality mm-hmm. so you get out of isu what are those first steps that you take into this world yeah so first was not finishing my degree <laughs> <laughs> that's very that's that's a good first step <laughs> uh, step was, one i was a senior and the same practice i put in all of this time and effort into that right i took my stagecraft class my uh, lighting class my makeup classes all the electives that i could possibly take at isu that were acting related i did every opportunity in free stage and all these like student-run productions to the point where i was like i wasn't really going to school guys like i was in a conservatory that i made you know for myself um and i didn't do my gen eds you know i just didn't do them most of them (laughs) and when i started to try to do them my senior year i was behind you know, it was like you had to take three more years worth of uh, prerequisites just to graduate. And I was like, well, that's not going to happen. Um, and I was in a relationship at the time and it kind of ended on a sour note. And I was sitting in my room with my buddy and we were drinking uh, we were drinking rum. It was like really stereotypically depressing. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we were watching uh, Slings and Arrows. Have you guys ever seen that show? Yes. And it was the first time I had seen it, and I saw the guy that was dating my ex-girlfriend sword fighting in the uh, little alleyway right yeah. outside, and I was like, I got to get out of here or something <laughs> bad is going to happen, you know? So I, I called my dad, who I hadn't, you know, my dad and I, um, we got along, but we didn't really see, we didn't have the same passions. My brother loved golf, loved Irish history, loved hurling, all this stuff. And I was like, you know, kid who brought a skateboard to a farm town in Ireland when he was growing up, you know, like a total <laughs> jerk. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, no, I mean, it was great. It taught me a lesson about how to hit the pavement, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Hard. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Only way to do it. Don't, don't skateboard on gravel. I can see that. I've got a content. My mom's side of the family is Irish-Italian, so I can oh, just picture yeah. you in, in, like, I don't know, just the middle of like would you, do you know where in ireland yeah it's from? a little town called newmarket cork oh in cork yeah okay my my side of the family is from mayo oh yeah it's like imagine and they're all serious <laughs> country bumpkins like <laughs> i love them to, they're amazing the best some of the best people i've ever met in the world but it's like you you know how do you get into town if the car is not there you ride the donkey yeah <laughs> or you, you, you know wait on the side of the road yeah, for you a hitchhike. tractor to go yeah. go by um, you know, like, hello there, young fella. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, what's your up to? Know? Like, yeah, yeah, you're a grand old day. How about a crack? How about a crack? Good. It's good. Uh, Thank my, you. My uh, godfather, uh, Uncle Tony, he took me to a cattle auction when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And you think Irish people talk fast. And then you go to a cattle auction. <laughs> and it's like, how does anybody understand what's for sale? How much? Who this guy is? Yeah. Like. It was exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. At the end of the day, someone just walks away with the cow. No one knows if it's been paid for. It's just... <laughs> Bessie's just going to a new home. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows if it's going to be a good home either. <laughs> well, I hope so for Bessie. Yeah, for Bessie's sake. It's the first time I had unfiltered cream out there. You know. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, yeah. So you had unfiltered cream and you rode skateboards on uh, gravel. Gravel hill, yeah. That's and you stupid. collected a decent amount of scars, I'm assuming, for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, emotional scars, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly, uh, but you were saying you talked to your dad. Yeah, no. so I called my dad and I was like, "Hey, here's the situation. Um, I've always wanted to go to New York to be an actor. I feel like that's the place where you go to figure out if you can make it." And we don't really know each other really well, like really well. We spend a lot of time together on vacations and going out there, but 
I'd love to come out there. Do I have a place to stay? And he was like, yep. So I booked a train ticket, as you do, because that's the only way to travel, in my opinion. <laughs> you meet some really interesting I'll people. There's riding the reason. rails. Stay on the ground. People take the train for a reason. It's usually because they either can't afford to drive out or they are not allowed on tra- uh, planes. Uh, you know? Oh, wow. Uh, or they have anxiety, or they have this, or they have sure. that. They want to play guitar like I did on the way out there, whatever it is. You know, you're know, you going through your moment. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I went out there, and I got to know him for like a year and a half, two years. And uh, I, the first thing I did was I had heard so many stories of people graduating as an actor and then waiting two years to get an audition. Wait, you know, like, I was like, what a waste of energy. You know, yeah. like you got all this inspiration inside of you. So I stopped at my buddy Gabe Swee's place in uh, Washington, D.C., and he was working in theater, and I went to a Pete's Coffee or something. Yeah. And I spent three days just getting my shit together. You know, like, here's my actor's access profile. Here's my resumes. Here's my all this. And I set up an audition for the first day that I got there. And it was terrible. I don't. I, I found the side the other day from it. No, <laughs> you know? no. It was like two white nationalists uh, go to hell and, and talk about their experience in hell. And it was just what? terrible. <laughs> Jesus. But you find, I mean, as an actor you say yes to so much and you're not really sure if any of it's going to be any good or what the script is or what this or what that is. And that was what I learned was like, just do as much as you can. And so I, I had auditions every day. I don't know if any of them were any good. I did. Um, oh God. Uh, the first major one was I saw a listing from Michael Sullivan. And my full name is Michael O'Sullivan. Michal, <laughs> uh, the Irish Gaelic version. And I submitted and I was like, Hey, I'm ready for for my role (laughs) and it was with Bryn Mannion who was a Pulitzer Prize nominee uh, playwright the year before and they did this play called Wake and it was a beautiful three hour three and a half hour play that they did at the Irish Heritage Center in New York Um, and I learned everything I needed to know about being an actor and what I wanted out of doing theater which was like showing up and you're working on a script in interesting ways you're not just trying to get it right and then solidifying that and moving on mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out what the story is and what the characters are and the relationships and at the same time you're not like foregoing your group vocal warm-up and your group physical warm-up and working as an actual ensemble mm-hmm. so to come from a place like chicago and not even know that this existed yet and then go to new york and have something like that teach me was incredible and how long did you stay in new york for uh, about a year and a half and then I, uh, I would go back and forth so i felt like guilty that I didn't finish my degree, right? You know, like, oh, you got to have a backup plan. Who cares if things are going well? And that was the worst decision I ever made. I went back and I failed miserably. But I, And it was the first time I went into serious college tech because it was like a last minute, like fear-based decision. Yeah, Got an apartment like an hour and a half, not an hour and a half, <laughs> a mile and a half off campus, you know? And that was enough of a, a deterrent for me to go to school. So I just used that year to uh, read and kind of, develop uh, a sense of myself and learn how to sit with myself in a room mm-hmm. you know by yourself right. <laughs> how important is that to being an actor because i know acting is a very empathetic and can be very difficult line of work i mean you're working with you know characters not just that you've helped develop in your own head but some that are possibly ascribed to you. you might be portraying someone so uh being able to sit with yourself and understand who you are versus your characters I mean, is that something that you have to do every time you approach a role? 
it's everything yeah and you know that you're in a good place when like for me i know i'm in a good place with, with a role when i read the script and after the first pass i'm journaling as the character mm-hmm. you know and it's it's not like fiction it's like this is how i relate to it mm-hmm. but i'm writing in that first person I, and i'm understanding what it must have been like pre this scene to walk into that situation and uh, you know, I think for me, that's how you personally bring anything to a role. That's what makes you different than you. And then you and none of it's better or worse than the other person, but some of it's more personal and relatable and honest and vulnerable. And when you get to do that, when, you know, the stars align and, you know, it's not always perfect either. No. You, you show up on set and you don't know what the hell you're doing sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes great work comes out of that. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily know if I have a foolproof strategy on how to work yet but hopefully one day well it's it's as you said it's a very natural process for you it's not something that you necessarily were taught you came into it and you kind of honed the craft totally in school they teach you like all of the you know theories and and you use bits and pieces of it uh i remember auditioning for michael howard studios in new york because i didn't trust myself enough as an actor Mm -hmm. okay and this guy who used to work with like the group theater back in the day you know all the stuff you read about um, Michael Howard and I it wasn't an audition it was like you went into his office and you talked with him for an hour and at the end of it I could tell like I wasn't I wasn't ready for this class no, you know? no. it's all Broadway stars coming in and working on Chekhov on their uh, nights off oh, of course it was beautiful um, and I left and I was, as I was leaving I was like have you heard this book it's called The Actor and the Target by Declan Donnellan um, I'm reading it right now and I don't understand it I don't really understand it he was like I haven't read it uh, and I will read it. And everybody says that, you know, everybody says, we'll yeah, get right. coffee. I'll read that. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'll be the first to tell you I won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he called me at 1130 at night that night and was like, look, Mickey, I think, you know, I don't know if you're ready for the class, but I read the book. <laughs> like, yeah. What? Wow. That night. Yeah. Yeah. That night. He read the whole thing. Yeah. And the time that it took me to, you know, you know, get depressed take a train back to my dad's place. You know, he called me and I was, I was about to go to sleep. He was like, you can come to the class if you want. And the first day it was this guy on Broadway. I was in the bathroom washing my hands and he was taking a crap, I think, but he was singing and he was singing a song that I saw the night before. It was from next to normal on Broadway. And, uh, I was like, that's who I'm in class with. And the way that they took their art very seriously. I remember a note was like, you're acting vertically and not horizontally. Meaning that like, um, they were doing an animal exercise and she went to go to the zoo and study a bird and she moved her arm and her eyebrows. And he's like, what about your toes? You know, you move anything and your whole body kind of, if you're, you know, release, releasing tension and whatever, if you're comfortable and relaxed, your whole body's involved in movement or in emotion or whatever. And he's like, you know, you gotta, sorry, you, you gotta act vertically and not horizontally. Um, so, you know, if you, you cry if you laugh or whatever you know your whole body is involved in that and to restrict that is to restrict you know an honest experience being captured so and that sort of athleticism mm-hmm. with acting is something totally. that probably uh resonates with you totally uh, <laughs> i'm a very physical actor uh, maybe not as much on tv and film because i'm still uh figuring out what the limits of cam being on camera is sure um but, uh, yeah, if you go see any of my plays, uh, it kind of looks like I'm a maniac. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I just did a play two, two years ago called DOA. It was noir. And I just got the shit kicked out of me for an hour and a half. It's based off an old noir film where a guy gets poisoned. He's got 24 hours to live. and He's got to figure out who killed him, you know. Uh-huh. And 
I broke a rib my first weekend. Uh, we had a new gun in, on stage, uh-huh. and it, was, it had a bigger butt, and my foot slipped a little bit from my, probably my sweat on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and it hit my rib, and it cracked my rib, and we didn't have an understudy at the time. And so I was like, fuck. So I'll take a lot of Bayer back and forth yeah. <laughs> and finish out the Just run. wolf that down. But I sweat. Like, if I'm not sweating at the end of a run, I don't feel like I've given everything. Wow. So I, I have a It sounds like you have um, certainly passionate, but it sounds like your background is mostly in theater. Yeah, that's where I started for sure. What is it like transitioning from theater? It sounds like you also still do it a yeah. decent amount, but what is it like being on camera? What's the yeah. What's the difference? Um, intimacy, I think. Uh, you know, who knows? In two years, I could come back in here and be like, "Guys, it was all wrong." <laughs> <laughs> TV is where it is at, and that's a, you know people. If you're an actor, a young actor, you're probably Googling how to act, you know? And yeah. so much misinformation out there. And, like, so I do say that with a disclaimer that whatever I say about, you know, how I feel about the camera work or uh, whatever is is not always set in stone. You mm-hmm. know, take it with a grain of salt. Right. But intimacy is, is definitely number one. If you're able to be relaxed mm-hmm. and have a conversation and really be personal about it, and the tra- and the the prep is different, right? Like, mm-hmm. you show up on the day and you got to do it. You don't get your rehearsal for three weeks. You don't get to talk about it for an hour and a half. You got to bring something special, you know, not only to your audition, but then you bring whatever you did in that audition that got you that job onto set. And you, you don't you don't get your uh, you know director conversation for an hour and a half beforehand. You just got to bring it. Mm-hmm. And you also are forced to make relationship faster. You know, in rehearsal, first two weeks of theater rehearsal, you're like getting to know one another and they become your family. Mm-hmm. And for something like The Shy, it was like, you know, I'm working in a kitchen. And I don't know if you guys have ever worked in a kitchen. I certainly have. For better or worse, you become family real fast. You know, yeah, you get nicknames right. and, you know, people, you know, who where you stand in the kitchen yeah, real fast. 100%. And you got to bring that the day one. You know, there, there has to be that initially. So there's no time to be standoffish and and you know insecure it's like let's let's work together let's be a family today you know um so that's the main thing i've noticed you know is um understanding where the camera is how it's seeing uh, the scene how it's helping tell, tell the story and where you know what the shots are the more that i you know i'm starting to get into filmmaking myself um, and the more that I do that stuff, the more that I work on crews, the more I'm understanding how a light is set up. I was working with Sophia Bush on uh, Chicago PD, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, what is it? You know, she was, said something about a light, and I was like, how do you know that? Like, how do you know that that light is hitting you in that way? And it's looking like that on the, the monitor 20 feet away. And she's like, I grew up, uh, my dad was a photographer, so I did lights for them. And I was like, that's it. You know, any any person who's any good at anything has just had so much time around it that they understand the mechanics of it. And when you understand it from an engineering point of view, you know, like Stanislavski was an engineer who just wrote stuff down, mm-hmm. you know, he tried things out and wrote down the results and he wanted to figure out how to, how to do that consistently. And so on camera, it's just like work on a camera enough. You know, when you buy that camera for self tapes as an actor, if you're not then keeping that camera up and, you know, writing something or practicing a different monologue or practicing a scene or whatever, then you're wasting your time and your resources because you have a camera to get to know it. You know, you have to be as uh, comfortable around a camera as you are around your scene partner. You know, you're not changing things because there's a camera all of a sudden, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that so that yeah. theory translates like the way that you approach theater. Well, well, it's different. I yeah. mean, you adapt to the situation, and you know, added things like you know, camera. Like you are now, you now have a different sense of an ob- observer. Yeah. So, uh, but you still those mechanicals, those engineering points, as you said, are still the same, and there's still a lot to that you can carry over into film or television. Chicago is a beautiful place too because there's a lot of intimate storefront. Uh, black box theater right and the way that i think about that is that like the audience is a camera that's you know five feet away from you Mm -hmm. and so if you can act for every one of those audience members as if they are their eyes are the monitor five inches from your face then you can bring it down to a level of honesty and truth and and performance level where you're not shouting at them you're not you know doing any of these things and you just get to let them in on that moment rather than force them to look at it Mm -hmm. um and i think that's where i find the transition from theater to, but I was doing this this summer. I was doing a elaborate entrance of Chad deity at red theater at straw dog theater, uh, up North. And at that same time I was shooting the shy. And one of them was a satirical take on a wrestling owner, like Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was going and taking that crazy energy and, and focusing it in like crazy for the shy and chef Dan and just hoping that there wasn't too much, you know, bleeding over, <laughs> you know, like that you weren't screwing it up big time. But Look, looking at the shy, so this is the your ongoing project, as it were. Yeah. Um, it's on Showtime, and it's a, it's a pretty interesting undertaking because I feel like more and more in media, Chicago is being recognized as a very important cultural focal point. Mm -hmm. And that's weird to say because Chicago has always appeared in films like people, I mean, The Untouchables. I mean, one of the greatest. Yeah. So many different movies have taken place in Chicago, but we've gotten to this point where the personality of Chicago is moving away from Al Capone gangsters 20s to being a real Chicago, a very accurate representation of Chicago. So what's it like being part of the show? You're from, I mean, you said you grew up by Midway Airport. You know what this is like. So how do you bring that experience into the show? Um, You're yourself. You trust that like they hired you for a reason and that you're playing a role in that. But also as an actor, you're such a small part of the, the, you know, the whole process that you're like, you know, I'm not going in there and, and doing like laying on my heavy Chicago, you know, like, yeah. uh, it's not just, Bill Swirsky super fans here. Totally. <laughs> and they'll let you know too. Like they're good enough yeah. to be like, Hey, we need more of this or we need lo- less of this. But also, you know, it was shot here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was shot by a woman who grew up, uh, you know, created by a woman who grew up in Chicago. Um, you know, went to school in Chicago, wrote by people in Chicago, um, and so they kind of did the work for you. All you had to do was kind of like accept the blessing yeah. <laughs> you know, and not try to screw it up. Um, but to the emotional uh, feeling of gratitude to be a part of a show like that, because the industry is changing and it's changing for the better. Um, and it's in- more inclusive and it's um, telling stories in a way that's not just, uh, you know, news headline worthy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is about people and examining their lives and it's not the way that it's been done. And so some people, I think, you know, you're reading, uh, you know, people's takes on the show and they're like, you know, for the first two episodes, three episodes are like, you know, we're not seeing enough of this or this or this. But Lena is such a, an incredible creator that she's setting things up so that she can tell honest, authentic stories. And, and, you know, in the pilot, um, you know, I used to keep talking about this with friends. There's a save, you know, the save the cat. 
Yeah. Right? You do something the, redeemable in the first, like, two seconds of, you know, your show or whatever, and everybody loves your character. It's yeah. protagonist. Everybody gets it. Uh-huh. And this is a huge spoiler for somebody who hasn't seen The Shy, so uh, <laughs> close your ears. Yeah. <laughs> Turning my mic off. <laughs> nah. um, there's a kid named Coogie um, who goes uh, into this alley at night to take care of this dog that he knows in the backyard of a... Um, house that's you know either a gang house or a drug house or something and takes care of this little dog um, you know feeds the dog and then goes another spoiler and dies and so you have a save the dog moment but then the moment that where you're like I love this kid he's a beautiful kid you know what I mean like I, I get that kid I am that kid uh-huh. and my best moments I am that kid he dies and you're left with this like haunting realization that like this is what happens you know people People uh, on the south side, people anywhere, you know, Boston, any of these major cities that are like typically known for this violence, um, they're they're human beings that you know just fed their dog or fed you know or just uh, had a conversation with their best friend at the you know neighborhood corner store or mm-hmm. whatever. And so Lena Waithe is able to take you know what we all see in the national news about Chicago and then pull the camera way back and show all of Chicago. And the end there is just beautiful. So, like, as a Chicagoan, I'm just, like, learning. Like, keeping my eyes and my ears to whatever they're doing and being like, what can I learn from this? Because they're actually leading change in this industry. It's amazing. It is. And to feel that comfortable on a set. Most sets, you don't feel that comfortable. Uh, I was just talking about this with my Uber driver. I was like, you, I walked onto that set and I've never been treated more like family than any other set I've been on, even independent sets and, and whatnot. And not to say that I've been treating bad on any of these no. shows. Right. But that's Chicago, to me, is is walking in and being like, hey, we're family now, we're all doing this together, um, and you're not only going to do well, but we're, we're going to make sure that we're not treating you like shit, <laughs> and we're going to be inclusive in our storytelling. Um, so it just feels like a blessing, man. I don't know, to work with storybook kind of stuff it's interesting it's interesting to hear you talk about the show like that because it does seem like there's like an ambition maybe like a race to capture contemporary chicago you Mm. got you know joe swanberg's easy you've got the slew of dick wolf shows you've got and the shy Mm. and so what would one on uh comedy central called south side coming out oh really that's true yeah so many so and you've worked on a bunch you've been on chicago pd you've played two different characters is that right two different characters i curious about that but anyway <laughs> what is it like working on the shy and would you say that the shy is capturing a side of chicago that no one's ever seen before i've never seen it before okay and I, you know um so i from my perspective yeah and it's trying to you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you could say it all you want like uh in every show you know joe swanberg's easy like i grew uh, i didn't grow up in that neighborhood we're raising a kid in that neighborhood and like it's true to that neighborhood and it's true to that. But like what's most important, you know, we have black Panther coming out recently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just saw a video of these two, uh, two two little, uh, kids and they're sitting there and they're like, that's me. And that's me. And I realized I grew up and I did that with, you know, every fucking movie out there. I became an actor because I realized that it was possible for me because I saw myself in everything. And then I realized that that is not true for so much of the population. And so to have this show about um, people of color on the South Side and just the South Side in general and saying, hey, you're represented. You're represented authentically. You're, we're fighting for you. And Lena Waithe had an interview recently where she was like, 
I challenge myself to name every character somebody that I love and care about, about after somebody I love and care about. And so that, I mean, it's a tough thing. She's not, it just got a TBS pilot called 20s that she's been working on yeah. for yep, ages. Yep. She was on This Is Us. Um, oh, God. I mean, she, she's on a tear. She's, I mean. I don't know how she does it. Yeah. But she's the realest human being I know. After the premiere in Los Angeles, she came out and said hi to every single person that's working on the show. Knew everybody's names. Had a history. Wanted them to come and, you know, throw down and dance at the after party. <laughs> and, like, that's Chicago. That's the person that's coming out of their, you know, uh, non-equity theater who's, like, who knows their people. Um, and is inclusive to all of them. But, you know. She's fighting for authentic storytelling and uh, about people who don't often get the the chance to have their story told or to tell their story, and so it's it's certainly creating dialogue and uh, making change for the better. We have a new showrunner for season two, Ayana Davis, and mm-hmm. another woman of color from Chicago, um, and so you know people talk a mean game out of the bars about how they're going to be a part of change and how they're going to lead change and to do it at that level and had no, no apologies and not they're necessary, but like just going and being themselves and doing the right things. Uh, I don't know, man, it, it feels weird. You know, it feels weird to be a part of that, especially as one of the only white guys on the show. Sure. You know, well, to feel that blessing and it's, that privilege, and it seems equitable from the from the story that's being told because it's not about like saying, "Oh, we're going to cut out nope. white folks because nope. they don't need to be part of the story." I think Lena's being honest in that they just literally, percentage wise, are a smaller part of this story. Yeah, you ever take the Red Line South? Yeah, and it you just, get down there, and you are the only you know, like it's this is one of the most segregated cities in, in the in the world, yeah. right? And it's apparent, and nobody tells that story, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and now we have the shy to help tell that story totally, and tell that story yeah. very honestly. Um, and, what, and what days of the week does that air on Showtime? Yeah, that's on Sunday nights. Sunday nights. Uh, nine uh, Central Time, I believe. Uh, fuck Game of Thrones. Fuck yeah. Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, I don't know when this is going to be released, but there's a code for um, uh, Showtime, uh, 30 days free, Lena is a badass and was like, here's my code. And so if you type in capital L-E-N-A at Showtime, you get a free 30 days, and that's only good till tomorrow night. I'll be back on the shy tomorrow night. Uh, the, excuse me, the 18th. <laughs> yep. uh, um, so, yeah, get on that if you, if this has been released by then. If not, not unfortunately. It, it'll, be, it'll be on this Monday, but the fact the fact is is that this is going to be on Sundays. If you have the show, if you have a Showtime subscription, watch this show. It is very much worth your time. If you're from Chicago, try give give Showtime a shot. You know, I think this is going to be one that might be worth the subscription. Um, Let me uh, hop on that real fast. So, yeah. Showtime is also doing other incredible work. Like, uh, there was this huge thing. Have you guys seen the show uh, Smilf or S M I L F? What do you want to call it? No. I recognize uh, the lead actor, Frankie and, Shaw. Yeah, Frankie Shaw. Frankie Shaw is not only the lead actor; she's the uh, the creator, the writer, the showrunner, and was the director of the pilot. And she's like a perfect example of a hardworking uh, genius of an actor. She created a short film for like three thousand bucks when she was in L A, wanting to be more see herself more in you know roles uh-huh and uh she they got picked up by showtime and showtime's so awesome about being like how are we going to help you tell your story how are we going to uh, help out and recently the governor or the mayor of boston was like this is a you know a smotch on our uh, on boston she's like hold on 
every movie about Boston is about the mob, uh, about the Irish mob, about it's you know, like, yeah. yeah, and it's like gun violence, and she's like. You don't like my show because you think it's single mother I like to fuck. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is about a single mother living in Boston who's trying her best to, to give her kid a good life, to give herself a good life, and to go through it. Rosie O'Donnell's amazing on this show. Yeah. And it's a great show. And I think, you know, Chicago's the same way. It's like, why do we want our city to be represented in a, an inauthentically violent way? Why? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, certainly doesn't help. The nation has a pretty poor perception of Chicago yeah. outside looking in. Well, especially, um, you know, to to bring in the recent uh, horrible mm. shooting in, in Florida, a lot right. of people, you know, the gun mm-hmm. violence thing gets uh, brought into the conversation, gun control, and people always point to Chicago. They're like, they have some of the strictest gun con- gun laws in the in the country. It doesn't stop anything. And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it stops a lot more than you would think. And also there's there is this national perception that of – Chirac, which mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a term with a lot of history, but I think it's been co opted by a lot of people. And I don't mean to be a dickhead here, but like a lot of people in the white suburbs yep. that want to believe that Naperville is the safest fucking place on earth, <laughs> and you know, and it, it really discounts these beautiful stories, these beautiful human stories that are happening every single day in Chicago. That yeah. uh, you know, people just want to tell, and that maybe if you pay attention. And you take a moment to see these people not as uh, folks living in a perceived war zone, yeah. but folks living in a city, just getting by. Doing, Going to the know. same places of work that you are. Right. You exactly. I mean? like, hanging out with their neighbors the same way that you are, who have had you know a crush on a girl uh, across the street, you know, whatever it is, yeah. you know, like – we're just telling human stories, you know, like, and, and to be non-inclusive in that is a detriment to, you know, like stories about people of color told by people of color sell. Yeah. Oh, even, yeah, from a, even from a cynical business perspective, right. exactly. Black Panther is going to be like a billion. I work at a movie theater, mm-hmm. and last night I was I was working. You know, Black Panther premiere Friday. Yep. Oh my god, the amount of joy and the amount of fun that people that people were having, oh, and the yeah. amount of great hell business yeah. it brought in. I work at a, a non-chain, totally independent, four-screen, tiny little theater, and uh, it it helped us out immensely. Every because it spoke to our audience. Our audience yeah. is largely African American. Yeah. So how great is it that they can now come to the movies and not feel like they're being you know suppressed in some sort of way? They can celebrate. And watch this great movie, and that's where it's at too. Like as a theater, uh, as a theater actor, is when you're doing a show where the the audience is excited and celebrating something there. Like I did the uh, elaborate entrance of Chad Deity, mm-hmm. um, which is you know uh, very. Uh, um, it's about a um, Puerto Rican re- wrestler who um, who is just kind of being oppressed by a white system, mm-hmm. um, and you know doing that show for you know either at least a little bit of a woke audience was like, Oh my God, you're alive. Thank God you're fucking alive. The, the, the audience is alive, yeah. you know, cause uh, you go and do theater and people are like hushing each other and shushing each other. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, I want you to, you know, boo and hiss and cheer and, and cry. And, and, you know, if some guy, you know, answers his phone, be like, can you turn it off? Yeah. And like, I think that we're we're pushing that celebration now and saying like you should celebrate the stories that are up here or at least you know have a reaction to them. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong if there's a comedic moment or if there's like a you know a shock a shock and all that sort of thing. Like if something funny happens in a movie or a play like laugh man right enjoy it and l- unless you really didn't think it was that funny then don't laugh it's you, totally fine it's a community when you get into that theater like 
you have all chosen to see that movie together. Like you have that in common. Right. You chose to spend your, and it's become increasingly more expensive. You know, like mm-hmm. you, know, you have to sneak into movies now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And you got <laughs> to sneak in your own food as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all changing too. Uh, and thank God the disruption of, uh, you know, movie pass. And but they're just learning from the things that we're doing anyways. When I was growing up, you'd go see one movie and then you'd go see four other ones. Yeah. And that was when it was five and a half dollars. Yeah. And now it's you know. Thirteen, thirteen dollars. What? Yeah. I think the river. What was it? River East down the down the street. That's got to be at least thirteen, yeah. fifty, and fourteen dollars. You can also treat yourself and spend thirty five dollars at the AMC dine in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I just took my mom there, and I was like, "Can I talk to the manager real fast?" Yeah. Uh, what the fuck do you think the, you're doing here? Listen, <laughs> listen, man. I work for. I work fucking hourly. Don't fuck with me. <laughs> well, and like, I think that that conversation does have to happen. Of like, hey, look. I want to be here. I want to come see your movies. I want to tweet about it. I want to, you know, and I want to be able to help uh, a cinema house. Uh, so what's going on that like a, an actor that you guys are kind of profiting off of any of an, any actor or filmmaker or creative person comes to see a movie and that's an expense for them. Sure. Um, but you're not inviting us to come see, you know, you're not sitting there saying like you are a part of our success why don't you come in here on a discount? You know, like we don't have much of a, of a discount other than on like Tuesdays through the union plus and thank God for union plus. And yeah. all, but like movie pass did it. They worked out a deal. Really? I mean, they kind of worked out a deal, right? Like yeah. you pay nine ninety five a month or whatever. Oh, I see. And it's getting complicated. No doubt. Yeah. But like, cause what are they doing? How are they making money off? Of right. <laughs> Maybe movie pass is like a mattress store. It's just a money laundering service. <laughs> those, those bastards. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I, I have to ask as an actor, we're, we're in this point of, uh, a whole new media revolution. I feel like yeah. the last time that media got this, uh, you know, strung up with something it was when we went from film to digital yeah and now we're in this world where okay so digital now there's literally streaming pro- platforms where you can watch virtually mm-hmm. anything i mean i've got i've got uh film struck through uh turner classic movies and the criterion collection yeah. i can watch movies that were made in like 1935 Damn just right. for ten dollars a month mm-hmm. and so as as an actor with more original programming going to netflix and hulu and things like that what does that look like for you? Do you want to try to get on that Netflix game, get on the Hulu game? I want to create. Yeah. I want to be a part of uh, people who are creating, you know. Uh, Connor and I were just talking downstairs about how, like, music has changed too, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And now we have constant access to whatever we want personally. And, you know, like, for nothing's better than a recommendation from somebody that you trust. You know, like you should really check out this movie at this point in your life. You know, right. like I yeah. just had my, somebody pull me aside. I was like, you got to take a look at this movie. I know what you're going through. And just take a look at this one scene. And, you know, you watch it and you're like, not only do you have a better relationship with that person now, yeah. but you have, you know, a peek into, uh, you know, cinema or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm going to get a, uh, going off on a fucking tangent. I do that Let's a go. lot. That's okay. Um, but like. I'm interested, and in, I listened to the Marissa uh, uh, Lessman oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, podcast earlier, and she's awesome, and she has a very similar point of view that I do. And it's like, you know, I wanna, I'm dying to work with her. Hey, Marissa, what's up? But that's the that's Chicago thing, too, is that, like, I, I want to work with good people, and I want to work with people who want to create. And I'm not interested in creating perfect things. You know, I'm interested in, in getting better as a creator, and the only way to do that, in my opinion, is to create and work with people who are creating things regularly. You know, I, I talk with a lot of actors and, and creative people. I talk with people in general, like 
uh, one of my good friends uh, just got sick, like really sick. And the night before she found out, she was like, you know, we were talking about how I was creating some noir thing that I'm, I'm working on right now. And she's like, that's so great that you're doing that. And I was like, yeah, but I don't want to focus too much on it. I want to move on. I want to do another thing and another thing. Um, because I've, I've talked to too many people who die with their opus never being written. And it's because I think that there's so much behind, you know, well, you know, you're late at night, you're talking with your friend at the bar and you're like, ah, I got this great idea. And it's the same yeah. idea you've had for five years and you haven't done anything with it yet. And maybe there's too much pressure on it or whatever, but like just create something small and, and, and stupid and, you know, and put it out there and get it out of the way. It was like the first audition in New York. It was like, just get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. just do it don't be afraid to embarrass yourself totally and learn from it you know one of the things that I loved about Lena Waithe was she put out she was a producer on Sisterhood mm-hmm. which just got dropped on Netflix right right, right. Um, what's up Netflix <laughs> <laughs> come on the show <laughs> and she she went on Twitter and was like hey what do you think what what, what do you, what's your opinion of, of this you know like you know is this a story that we're, we're you know give us your feedback yeah and that's it too you know you you can create all to your heart's content, but if you never listen to the reaction, mm. then you're not really growing as a creator or an artist. You're not growing right. closer. You're not going to actually be more successful at, you know, developing uh, developing an audience and then being close and intimate with them, so that you can, you know, give them the thing that they need to watch on their, uh, you know, uh, dead wife's anniversary, third third year anniversary, whatever yeah. it is. You know, like those intimate moments. Um, and so, yeah, I want to be a part of that. I want to, you know, this was something I talked about uh, during the great recession, right? Is that like, we're about to go through a period that hasn't happened since the great depression and the way that we attached ourselves to film, silent film. And and it was a revolution. People went to stories so that they can leave their story behind and they can see themselves up there and they can find hope and find whatever. And that's what we're doing it now. You know, I, I forget what company just invested like two hundred million or billion dollars into short form content, and like, yeah, you could be a businessman about that and be like, I want to, you know, be a part of that profit scheme. Yeah, right. Or you could just say like, you're giving us permission to create. You know, uh, I think about all these like awesome web series. Um, uh, I just met Sam Bailey. Do you guys know Sam Bailey? Uh, Sam Bailey. I, we haven't gotten to meet meet them unfortunately, but I know uh, Brown Girls. Yeah. Just picked up oh, by HBO, yeah. right? Right from Open TV. Yeah, yeah, Open TV. I've gotten to talk to. We've talked to uh, Amar Christian. Yeah. Um, talked yeah. to the folks from Afternoon Snatch on their OTV. But yeah, Bobby and Isa. You know, they did the CISO thing through NBC. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, like it's all there. Right? It's, I am looking at my phone right now. I'm like, I could show you. You know, twenty five things. When I was in college, I loved Derek Comedy. Do you guys remember? Derek oh yeah. Comedy? Oh yeah. I mean, of course. What's CollegeHumor.com. Um, Derek Comedy is uh, I can't think oh, Childish yeah. Gambino it's, yes. it's, oh, Donald, it's Glover. Donald Glover yeah yeah, yeah. and um, what's her name from uh, oh god Kimmy Schmidt Kimmy Schmidt <laughs> oh, yeah. she was the blowjob girl oh yeah she oh, <laughs> the sandpaper hell yeah, yeah. I'm gonna make it so dry for you like, she was so funny you know but, that like, was a great yeah. go back and look at those videos and they're not perfect they're not, you no. know, but they're funny, they're authentic, and they kept doing them. Mm-hmm. And it did, you know, you can reverse engineer it and say, like, and that's how they got to that level. Or you could just say, like, they just wanted to create, they weren't too worried about it, you know, like, uh, I'm currently working on developing a, a content generation team, a think tank for, for content, but sure. people who aren't just the thinkers, who, uh, you know, are multi-hyphenates um, who can also then 
put those into practice and turn them around in one day. Do and make. Do and make. And, you know, we're not talking about like a, a crazy pre-production. We're talking about sitting around on Monday morning and, you know, by Monday at 1130, five ideas are on the table and you've got five hours to do them. Just do them. Yeah. Do them and put them out there. Uh, solve problems with content. Sure. Whatever you, you know, get, be a part of a conversation mm-hmm. every morning. There's things that are trending on Twitter. Like if you're not creating based off of that, you're losing like a really important, uh, you know, generation, uh, uh, inspiration generation, uh, opportunity, opportunity. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever fear you're doing too much? No, no? I'm not, not doing enough. I was talking with my friend right now. I'm actually doing less than what I was doing right when I first started out uh-huh. because these projects, you know, like you have an availability now and you can't do certain things, but like I'm always, you know, I'm working on a short film coming up, um, uh, on the 5th of March, uh, I am uh, working on a feature film, uh, that's going to shoot on the 12th through the 30th of next month. And I'm going away for that whole time to shoot. Um, I, I I'm doing whatever I can to keep working because, I have the time and I specifically like made a decision a while back. Like, you know, I lived in my Jeep, right? Like I ate tuna and, and quinoa because that was the only thing I could afford. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I don't, you know, I'm, I've gotten fired from way too many jobs to then at this point be like, whatever is going to come my way, you know, like, no, I'm going to get out there and hustle. I'm going to keep creating my, on my own. I'm working on a, a noir series. Like I said, um, and uh, I want to write, and I want to direct, and I want to produce. Um, and I, you know, what's his name? Uh, he's the guy who does everything. He's at twenty-five degrees um, from different places. James Franco. Okay. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. And there's something that I like about that is that, like, why not do everything? Right. Why not? You know, like, you dude. don't have to be. You got to. You don't have to be good at it, and you'll only get better if you do more. But to have an interest in those things is only going to make you a better actor, in my opinion. Like, right. if you know how a director's brain works and what pre-production means to them, then you're going to be golden, and you're going to meet more people and learn from their stories, and so on and so forth. You know, I was just uh, somebody um, just got uh, accepted into Steppenwolf um, School of uh, not their their ensemble, Celeste Cooper, who's an awesome Chicago actress, and. I had worked as an extra with her on like a Skittles commercial like a year ago, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, those are the people that go through my mind when I'm creating, when I've got those stories, uh, concepts are the people that I've worked with before in Chicago. And, you know, I don't know that I have the time right now to be like, block everything else out. We're going to shoot this one thing. But I, I've become aware of the fact that it's possible to shoot it in one day, and get it done, and not have it look like total crap, and to be able to, you know, leave it behind, almost like an improviser leaves, a, you know, a scene behind. You don't, you know, think about it for fifty hours after that scene. You let it go. It was precious at the moment. It's not precious anymore. It's your baby. You toss it to the side. Nah. Take care of my baby. Kill your darlings. Yeah, right? totally. All right, Mickey. Thank <laughs> you so so much. <laughs> no, that was great. I mean, that was great. I mean, you're just. I mean, you're a wealth of stories, a wealth of information, a wealth of, uh, you know, just thought on um, not just the process of acting, but the process of being a creative person. And um, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Again, you can catch Mickey on The Shy. That's on Showtime Sundays. And you, you said it's picked up for your season two? Season two. All go. right. Picked up for season two. Season one is currently ongoing, but you've got plenty more great uh, Mickey O'Sullivan <laughs> and and so many more coming your way. Uh, thank you so much again, Mickey. Let us know anytime you want to come back. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Chicago. And uh, 
Come on, Blackhawks. Let's go. Come on. Go Hawks. Let's go. Says the guy in the Oilers hat. Oh, that's a story. Hold on, hold on. I wore this hat because my brother, uh, I stole a lot of clothes from him. I got to justify this. I'm in a Blackhawks commercial here. Go for it. We'll just do a slow fade out. Yeah, right, right. right. (laughs) Um, My brother, uh, I sold all of his clothes as a kid, and I stretched him out, and I bought this Edmonton Oiler hat for him because he's a trader. And then I realized that it's not fair unless I actually wear the hat for a while and stretch it out and wear it in so that he knows when he wears it that it's actually my gift to him. You should charge him like a vintage cost because it's worn. It's like a worn hat. Yeah, now you got to buy me beer for a month. All right, this is No Coast Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we will see you all next week.